This conversation with the political activist Alia Amir Ali is the seventh in an audio series we're calling Another Pakistan, recorded in midsummer 2011. It's a co-production of the Watson Institute at Brown University and the Asia Society. I'm Christopher Leiden, under the monsoon rains in Pakistan with Alia Amirali, the very model of a modern change agent in a famously stuck feudal society where politics and government go from bad to worse, sometimes not so bad, but nothing much seems to change. Not yet, anyway. This is open source from the Watson Institute at Brown University, a South Asian conversation this summer of 2011, with a lot of American implications. Alia Amirali is the general secretary of the Punjab chapter of the Student Federation. Alia, outline your project. Our project is part of a larger project of rebuilding the left in Pakistan. Hmm. And one of the reasons that the left has not been able to have a coherent presence in Pakistan in um, in the immediate context is that there's about a three or four generation gap where everything, including the structures, uh, the ideological clarity, um, and the actual existence of leftist political parties basically just fragmented and uh, caved away. Um, And we believe that until and unless there's new blood, the left Mm. will not be um, a coherent political force yet. So that's why we are focusing on... um, trying to repoliticize the student body uh, in Punjab particularly and then take them to the next step of introducing them to what we believe um, is the solution. To <laughs> I'm dying to hear it. And a delivery date too. Uh, it's a long-term project. We are very clear that this is going to take at least a decade to actually pick up and become part of Uh, a mainstream political discourse. Um, It's really back to the basics for us. Um, If I were to define what our political program is or what our, you know, how uh, sort of we see um, our quote-unquote enemies, um, it's it's very clear. We're anti-imperialist. We are anti-establishment, okay? Uh, We believe in a secular state. Mm. And uh, we are anti-capitalist. And Mm. we're anti-feudal. In your introduction, you um, categorize Pakistan as a feudal society. I disagree with that. We are a post-colonial society. Mm. We're neither fully capitalist. We're neither fully feudal. We are a bizarre mix of these two things. And, uh, and we're very much modern. Um, but modernity is not a monolith. You know? So the way in which modernity has manifested itself in Pakistan is starkly different from the way that it's manifested even in India, um, let alone um, Western European countries. Mm. But that doesn't take away from the fact that we are very modern. Take the Taliban, for instance. They are you know, extremely modern. Look at the technology they use and look at how they use very new um, and sophisticated technology to ostensibly go back to an older era, which, uh, by the way, uh, does not exist. That older era was not there. It's, it's, a, it's a typical revivalist movement, which, is, which are classical uh, expressions of, um, of modern conditions. Flesh out your emphasis on the post-colonial. As you all know, the British were here. Um, <laughs> we were. And they were here for a long time. 
And, uh, you know, Pakistan is one of the bizarre cases where the state precedes the nation. Uh, so Pakistan is not a nation, it's a state. So it's a state nation. And the state uh, that was built primarily for administrative purposes by uh, the then uh, colonial administrators, that same, very same state structure was inherited by Pakistan. It has changed since then. It's been uh, indigenized, you could say, and that has created changes in mm. uh, in how the state operates and its influence and what it does. But its basic structure in terms of how heavily uh, influential uh, the military uh, bureaucracy sort of um, collusion mm. uh, that existed right at the time of partition exists to this day. Does, does Pakistan feel to you deeper in a post-colonial rut than, than India, say, or Egypt? Yes, uh, there are many post-colonial states in the world. It's a good question. Why is it that Pakistan appears to be such a big problem? Um, and I think things would have been very, very different um, if the Pakistani state's relationship with America had not been what it is. And if, um, you know, the post-Cold War scenario had not panned out in the way that it did, if there was no 9-11, if there was no um, American invasion of, of Afghanistan, I think things would have been very different right now. Explain why Pakistan has not seemed to develop, I'm not sure India has either, fresh political talent that stands for social change or social movements or people's or even regional interests. It does seem to be kind of uh, factional games. Yeah, the fact that national unity or coherence uh, or even a political program that can be called truly national in terms of it encompassing... Uh, the languages, the cultures, the desires and the political aspirations and the identities of all of the peoples of Pakistan, that has not happened. If anything, there has been further and further fragmentation on ethnic and linguistic lines. The political process has constantly been either manipulated or just plainly crushed uh, in Pakistan by the military. And Balochistan is the best example of this. All of these targeted killings, these, um, you know, corpses showing up every day of four or five basically young people and political workers. It's, very, it's a very clear um, example of how the Pakistani state has absolutely no tolerance for um, independent thinking, uh, for spontaneous and self-organized politics. If they cannot control it, they will crush it. In Punjab... Uh, they, for instance, the student union is banned. Okay, uh, it has been banned since Yaul Haq's time, and it has not been revived even to this day. When we uh, take admission in a university in Pakistan, I was a student there till a year ago. I had to sign an affidavit before I was given admission, saying that I will not participate in any political activities. And I will not participate in any activity against the administration of mm -hmm. the university. And it is on that basis that you get admission in any public sector university in Pakistan. So how much clearer is it that the state is not willing to allow for any independent political activity? Give us your own outline of the national questions that nobody's dealing with. Pakistani identity, as it stands, constructed by the state, is that we are all Muslims, hence we are one. That failed consistently. 
right from the time, even before the creation of Pakistan, the Pukhtuns were up in arms. They did not want to be part of Pakistan. And, I mean, there are many speeches, even from that time, of course, Bizinjo, for instance, who said very lucidly, I mean, I, I don't remember the exact quote, uh, but he said, look, if we are all uh, becoming part of Pakistan because we're Muslims, then why don't you include Afghanistan? Why don't you include Iran? Why don't you include all of that part of India, which is Muslim? Why just us? So being Muslim is not enough to keep, uh, to keep us all together as a nation. The fact is that Pakistan is a multinational state. Uh, it was never acknowledged as one. Uh, Urdu became the national language. No other language has uh, been accepted as being um, of the people of Pakistan, even though it was spoken by such a tiny minority of people, um, even at its creation. Now, of course, many more people speak it because they have to. It's been thrust down their, their throats. It's the official language. They have to learn it if they want to interact with state institutions. Um, so denying uh, the diversity and multiplicity of cultures, of religions and of languages in Pakistan was a disaster to begin with. Bengal is the best example of it, um, despite uh, the fact that it was basically uh, the Muslim League in Bengal, which was behind the creation of Pakistan and mm. lent most of its support to it. Once uh, the state was created, this particular military bureaucracy, oligarchy, absolutely had no tolerance for any diversity. Pakistan obviously was not your design. In what sense, though, do you have your own ideal of a Pakistani state? If it were to become a true federation, um, and by true federation, I mean uh, people uh, and these federating units to be given um, autonomy, um, independence if they want it, autonomy if they want it, um, to get rid of this uh, severe centralization that exists um, today. Uh, and I think both geographically, uh, economically, and socially, now there is so much, there's so much, many linkages between all of these peoples, no matter how much they deny them now. But there's so much integration um, that I actually don't think that if any part of what is, constitutes Pakistan today breaks away and becomes independent, uh, it'll be, uh, they'll be able to survive. So there are linkages. There is a strange kind of um, uh, connectedness that exists between all of these disparate peoples and territories and geographies and cultures. And it's just about letting them flourish. It's also about um, getting rid of, for instance, uh, you know, these, uh, the, the global sort of dominance of capital, which has its own dynamics, which are inevitable. Um, you know, if you are going to take um, loans from the IMF and the World Bank, mm -hmm. they're going to have very clear instructions on how that money is to be used. So a very coherent um, anti-capitalist economic policy, uh, a truly federal structure uh, of the state, um, a secular state, first of all, mm -hmm. um, which allows for basic personal freedoms, which does not treat non-Muslims as second-class citizens, and which does not thrust anti-Indianism and uh, you know anti-Hinduism and anti-everybody who's not Muslim down people's throats. Um, I think it would be a very beautiful country. <laughs> you know, we've interviewed your father, Perez Hoodboy, in the states. 
MIT PhD scientist, a Democrat, political secularist in the face of Islamism in Pakistan. Just for the sake of clarity, I mean, tear and compare your politics and his. Well, his politics is uh, revolves around the secular um, aspect. It only deal. I feel that it is um, only focused on the lack of secularism or the dominance of religious ideology and therefore religious groups, religious militancy, uh, conservatism in 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 our culture, etc., etc. I do not think that the the problem that I have with his perspective is a it's a historicism. He does not pay enough attention to how it is that these views, that these groups, uh, that this anti-Americanism, that yes, it is a fact in Pakistan, but if we do not look at how it came about, we will not find a solution to it. Um, it's a classic liberal position of uh, our lifestyles are threatened, uh, bomb these barbarians into oblivion, and then we can all rest in peace. They do not see that for the common man in Pakistan, life was hell way before the Taliban. Mm. Life was hell, uh, and life is hell now, um, even for those people who are very religious, but are having to deal with the barbarism uh, and very consciously state-sponsored a construct of the Taliban and various religious militant groups that are patronized even today by the state. So... Uh, a criticism uh, or finding a way towards secularism uh, while ignoring the role of American imperialism, while ignoring the fact that America is an occupying force in Afghanistan, mm -hmm. uh, and the fact that that lends legitimacy to very anti-people groups such as the Taliban is a very serious problem and cannot be ignored. Um, the other problem is that it's a very cultural argument, uh, the liberals. Um, it's 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 very civilizational that you know modernity and secularism and liberalism is uh, you know is um, progress and it's a better uh, sort of it's one stage up in the evolution of humanity. That's a very condescending attitude, uh, and I think it also tends to ignore the real lives of people and what religion actually means to, uh, in people's lives. If you actually scratch the surface and go talk to lots of people, see how they live, and see what role religion actually plays in their lives, people are secular. Um, and people are not uh, as dogmatic as they are made out to be. But people are people, and they use identities instrumentally. Uh, if you bring up the context of, you know, uh, CIA versus... Um, you know, versus the Pakistani state, people be like, oh, you know, it's the CIA, it's they're after the Muslim bomb and all of that stuff. And much of that is a result of state propaganda, state rhetoric. It's in our educational curriculum. It's on TV. Uh, it's it's everywhere. It's in the mosque. It's in mm. the textbook. It's and actually the, you know, right, right from Bhutto's time. I mean, the, the, there's an a strange contradiction here. Bhutto was the most secular of our leaders yes. to, to date. He is the one who, in order to preserve himself politically, calls Pakistan the Islamic Republic of Pakistan, you know, declares Friday a holiday, bans alcohol. How do the liberals explain this then? You know, so I think that the liberal discourse is very parochial, it's narrow, and it does not... 
uh, A, it is detached from people. It tries to represent people, but it's actually just representing itself, which is a very small class in Pakistan. Um, and it tries to almost impose uh, itself and allies itself, actually, with the very state. It's ironic. This class allies itself with the state and the very same state that has actually created this entire problem of the Taliban, of the, of, of the religious right. And not just the state, they uh, support... Uh, the American presence, which um, which is the biggest contributor uh, to all of this chaos and almost back to the cave kind of situation that Pakistan is in. Aliyah, this is fascinating. I'm hearing sort of a daughter's argument with her dad. But explain to me, in Pakistan, people refer to your father, Pervez Hoodboy, as broadly pro-American, but he's also instructed us in the American roots of the torture of Pakistan today, Charlie Wilson's war, the obvious use of Pakistan in chasing the Soviets out of Afghanistan, the militarization, Islamification that came with it. I mean, he's, he seems very critical of, uh, of, of what the United States has been doing to this country over 30 years. Is he not? He is, but at the same time, he is willing to uh, sort of, in a sense, detach what is going on right now and Mm -hmm. the character of American imperialism from its past. That is my basic uh, argument with him, is that he is uh, cutting off this particular stage in the history of Pakistani society and Afghan society, and somehow magically hoping that within this configuration of forces, that very same character who created uh, these monsters is now uh, going to do away with them. You see, these things, as he himself says, are not people cannot be switched on and off like an electrical switch. And, uh, you know, until and unless you let people decide things for themselves, uh, until, yes, there will be chaos because it's, uh, the conditions have, that have been created will make it inevitable. But do I think that uh, we need America as a big brother just because it's just the necessity, that's the only way out? I don't see it as a way out. I actually see it as a time bomb. And if you look at the history of Afghanistan, and if you even if you look at the future, I think um, it will prove to be a time bomb rather than a solution. If you want, uh, as in the American um, state, decides that it will want control over that particular territory or whatever territories that, that they want to establish themselves in, And if they want to, even if they leave, they want to install a government or Mm. a uh, structure, which is fine, even if it's the Taliban, as long as it, uh, they can reach some kind of agreement. That to me is a classic example of how it is actually the people of Afghanistan who are just pawns. Because for the Americans, it doesn't matter if it's the Taliban in power, if it's Karzai, if it's X, Y, and Z, as long as they can reach an agreement, Mm. which would protect fundamental interests of the American state at this particular point in time. Now, that is a very unreliable position, and I don't see why people uh, are, have so much hope uh, in, uh, you know, that America will do away with these guys. Just look at what's happening right now. The, the distinction between good Taliban and bad Taliban, the fact that these talks have been going on for a long time, and now they're coming out with them, 
very clearly, is a clear example of the fact that America is not out there to wipe out the Taliban. America is there for its own strategic interests and whichever group of people, whichever government or setup uh, agrees to those interests and agrees mm. to pander to those interests in return for the protection of, of its own interests, they will strike a deal. So if it happens to be the Taliban, you know, what are the Afghan people going to do? Alia, a radio executive said to me yesterday that his idea of Pakistan was crushed in the 1980s, specifically by General Zia, by Charlie Wilson's war, by Ronald Reagan's support of that American drive through Pakistan that got the Soviets out of Afghanistan, by the Islamification of the politics, the militarization of the society. I, 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 I mean, his heart was broken. But I was also thinking... Your generation, under 30, has never even seen his world, has never even seen the world he, he pines for. I want to know where you and your fellow students get your model of Pakistan. Is it here? Is it elsewhere? What does it look like? You're absolutely right. We have not seen um, that era, even uh, in the legacy which I claim today, that of the left. Uh, I never saw those days when we were actually in uh, some kind of uh, existence. You really. made it sound like milk and honey, I must say. Easygoing, tolerant, open society. Before Pakistan, his Pakistan started dying 25 years ago. Well, you know, that romanticism and nostalgia will, of course, be there. Uh, luckily or unluckily, we don't have that. And it's actually bred a very strange kind of cynicism uh, and individualism in Pakistani society. That's why we have so much trouble resurrecting ourselves in, in the current context, um, because that vision or that time um, and that romanticism is not there. Um, so where we get our um, our vision um, and even our hope, I mean, if we are hopeless, we can't do what we do. So where we get our hope is actually from hearing about uh, those times past and the fact that many things were possible. People struggled. People gave up, gave up their lives. They gave up their jobs. Um, they went from place to place. They worked very hard. Um, they don't hesitate to say they were loving people. That fascinates me. I think people are still loving, though. I think it is, <laughs> it's tragic to say that people are not loving. Just, you know, people who uh, harbor these, these, these uh, you know, pictures of what Pakistani society and Pakistani people are like. One of the reasons that people, mm. this particular class has become so hopeless is because it does not interact with normal, common people. Mm. I, I can say with a guarantee that if these very same people were to go out with a message, say, okay, come on, let's fix things. We are in a hole and we need to get out of it. And we can only get out of it if we all get together and if we all come to a consensus. And that is possible. If they go out and reach out to people, I can guarantee that their vision and this particular cynicism about Pakistani mm. people not being loving anymore would definitely change. That's why I keep doing what I do. Alia Amirali, you speak American as well as Urdu. You know our country well. Talk to Americans about their real impact here and what they might do to help Pakistan out in a real way. If the American people actually got a chance to meet a normal, regular Pakistani 
uh, in their context, in a non-threatening, non-confrontational context, they would realize that this war and this antagonism is not between peoples. It is between states, and states use their peoples, and states create uh, these sentiments very consciously uh, to pursue their own interests. So I think that what would be really good if if the American people want to help Pakistani people, the one thing that we should all collectively strive for is greater exchange between peoples, not between states, but for more people, American people and Pakistani people, real people to interact with each other, not, not uh, government officials, not uh, bureaucracies, not military generals, because they represent entirely different interests. And I still believe that what is in the interest of, of the American people, of the Pakistani people, of the Indian people, of people all over the world is fundamentally similar. And therefore, I think it's just a matter of constructing those bridges. And if we work at it, we can. What do you ask your friendly Americans to do? Friendly Americans need to fight the injustices of their own state, just like friendly Pakistanis need to fight the injustices of their own state. And we should all come together and um, fight this, uh, what is actually now a global, globally unjust system of hypercapitalism. If we don't do that, we're going to keep fighting these little fights um, in our own places and never get anywhere. Aliyah Amir Ali, we'll see you at the party. It's a great pleasure to meet you and to talk with you and to listen to you here in Islamabad. Thank you. And thank you. Ben Mandelkern produced and Henry Peck edited this conversation in Islamabad with the activist and organizer Aliyah Amir Ali. Our series Another Pakistan is a co-production of the Watson Institute and the Asia Society. Zamine Ansari is our producer in Pakistan, thanks also to Bina Sarwar of the Jung Media Group. The conversations continue from South Asia and also online. Listeners, please feedback your views, your Pakistan, with a comment on our website, radioopensource.org. I'm Christopher Leiden. Thank you for being part of the Open Source Conversation.